Contenders, yeah. Contenders, you go on my first whistle. <laughs> Gladiators, you go on my second whistle. <laughs> I love that guy. I can't remember his name, but he's great. Well, fun. Go. Action. <laughs> um, hiya. <laughs> this has been possibly the most shambolic intro uh, we've ever done. Um, so this is probably the one you'll actually see, but it's been a shit show up until now. <laughs> this is definitely, definitively, episode five <laughs> of our fundamental series. Um, and today we are basically going to be looking at um, kind of stuff that happens to run mostly after it's aging. So I, I don't know how to describe it as post-distillation methods, kind of other th- a caveat being other than aging or just yeah. stuff people we'll do go. to kind of mess around with rub a bit. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that has yeah. pretty negative implications. They're not all negative. Okay. Yeah. Again, a caveat number two, um, this is in no way necessarily, I don't think meant to be negative because a lot of the things that we will actually mention today, um, kind of brand wise are really good for getting people interested in rum and it's really it's really good kind of gateway products into drinking rum and they're obviously a lot of them are very 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 successful and people obviously really enjoy them so we're not here in this to kind of slag anyone off we probably will but not um when we don't kind of mean that in a necessarily overly negative way we're just simply explaining what some people do do to their rum, I think. It's probably the best way to explain it. We'll go with that. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to be very diplomatic, can you tell? Doing a good job, mate. Apart from when you keep bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so what do you want to cover first then? Do you want to go colour or filtration? I guess they're both uh, kind of almost part and parcel the same thing in, in a weird way, right? But... Yeah, let's maybe talk uh, filtration. So basically, all, all this stuff we're kind of talking about today is will happen 99.9% of the time. is going to happen after aging. It might only be for a very short period, you know, um, it might be like six months, a year, two years. Um, but 99% of the time, this is all this stuff is going to happen kind of just after we've finished our aging process. So everything's been sat in a barrel, regardless of what that barrel is. Um, and then we're going to do some extra stuff to it, basically before we stick it in a bottle, essentially. So, um, yeah, certainly I think filtration is probably a good place to start because, yeah, it's quite straightforward. Cool. So the floor is yours. I was going to say, I'm leaving it up to you. Crack on. <laughs> oh, I'm just to take a sip of my beer, so you, you go ahead. Oh, yeah, all right. You can just drink away, and I yeah, will I'm just gonna sit, sit here muddle, and listen. On muddle on through. <sighs> One of us has got to do all the hard work around here, you know. <laughs> 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 um, so uh, filtration, um, most of the time will happen uh, when it comes to uh, these sort of white rooms. Um that uh, most people will kind of be familiar with. So uh, kind of a prime example of filtration is Bacardi, um, which uses charcoal filtration. So the reason why like a lot of producers do this um, is to kind of, in a way, it sort of lightens up your spirit a little bit in both colour and sort of flavour-wise as well. Well, kind of depending on how, what kind of medium you filter it through. Um, so of Obviously, kind of like the the most well-known one would be Bacardi and their charcoal filtration. So um, the guys at Bacardi, uh, I believe Fecundo Bacardi was the first person to really charcoal filter a spirit uh, kind of commercially. And kind of what this does is it kind of strips out the colour and it also takes away some of uh, the aroma. So kind of makes it a lot lighter and kind of that's kind of, the reason behind Bacardi's success really is kind of it being quite light, easy, very easy to mix in cocktails, you know, or with, you know, a mixer or whatever you want to do with it. That's kind of part of its versatility 
is that. Um, I think I was just going to interrupt you there. I was just going to say, like, obviously people that maybe are a bit more new to rum or spirits in general might kind of question why a producer would want to sort of like go through the task of aging something and then kind of like strip away some of that flavor and color. But I think a, a very important point is obviously what you just mentioned, the fact that sometimes people are looking for a mix of obviously the, the complexity you get from leaving it to age for a little bit, but they also want something that's quite light, um, kind of like versatile in its use in say cocktails or mixing it with, you know, modifiers of different varieties. So just because we sometimes describe something as like a lighter or, um, I don't know, pure is not necessarily a white, like the, the right way to explain it, but you know what I mean? Something that's, yeah, if we're saying like we're like stripping away some flavor or stripping away color, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bad thing. Obviously, they're doing it for a reason, and predominantly, it's for the reasons that Andy just mentioned. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like that classic sort of style of um, Spanish style sort of white rum is kind of, you know, it's, it's designed to be very light and uh, inoffensive and and very easy, easy going basically, and it is quite sort of clean cut as well. And to do that, you know, they're gonna they're gonna want to take away. Maybe they don't want it to be, you know, even if it's aged for say a couple of years or eighteen months in in oak, it's gonna have some impact on it. And kind of they might not necessarily want all of that flavour. They might want a little suggestion of it. But a kind of good way to strike that balance is this filtration process. Um, Kind of another big one is probably uh, that we kind of know a little bit about, I suppose, is Plantation Three Star, um, which is filtered in a very different way, um, which kind of keeps all the aroma and a bit more of the flavor profile and kind of strips out uh, a lot of the color. You'll find, if you actually look at Plantation Three Star, it's kind of like, um, I like to describe it as light wee color or a really hydrated person's wee. <laughs> or I, f- I feel like the official term would be straw. straw. It's a lot tastier, though. Yeah, why do you, why do you <laughs> yeah. go with straw first? <laughs> why do you go light wee first, straw afterwards? Um, I'm just trying to get it to stick in people's minds. People remember a, sure a, wee, anal- <laughs> a wee analogy a bit more than uh, me saying straw. straw. You know. Fair, fair. I get your point. Um, yeah, well, I guess... Obviously, when you bring up a product like Plantation Three Star, or even if you're thinking about the likes of Bacardi or like Havana Club or something like, I don't know, Don Q, the Crystal, you know, all of those aren't straight from the still into a bottle. They actually are aged for a while, and especially Plantation Three Star, it's actually a blend of a few different rums, and there is some like up to 10 year in there. So it really does have some elements of complexity to it even though it has been filtered to quote unquote kind of strip it down a little bit um so i guess yeah another point we'd like to make through like while talking about filtration is the fact that just because a rum is white doesn't necessarily mean that it's not been matured in some way and it's not got as much complexity likewise just because a rum is a goldeny color or it's like a almost like a jet black color it's really not a good indication as to what the actual product in that bottle is going to taste like. Yeah. A few other points just kind of aside from filtration in kind of white room where it kind of goes through like a, a medium of some sort. Um, kind of most room will be filtered to a certain degree anyway, to just take out any sort of bits or sediment or anything that's from sort of the barrels they've been aging in to kind of, basically give it that sort of clear even though it might be you know like gold rum or something like that it will it will kind of be still clear or like sort of transparent it's probably the best word is that right translucent transparent one of them translucent. transparent yeah yeah um so um kind of most things will be filtered um some things you may see on some bottles will be like a non-chill filtered um so what they tend to do is like uh with a lot of stuff is they'll cool it down 
and then filter it. And basically that um, separates some of the fatty acids inside the rum uh, out so they can filter those out. So it will be like a lot clearer. So you will see some rum that sometimes goes a little bit cloudy. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means it's probably means it's been non-chill filtered. Um, so it will have some of these kind of like amino acids in there where if it's kind of, it's, if it's subject to kind of hotter, like warmer temperatures and then cooler temperatures, like quite often, like there's a big temperature swing where the bottle is, um, it kind of, it might sometimes just separate those out and it will be a touch cloudy, but that's nothing in, to be uh, yeah, overly you, worried about. You can get that kind of impact a bit as well. If you have it in a glass with some ice, sometimes it can do exactly the same thing. It can go like a little bit hazy looking or a little bit cloudy. And obviously people that are drinking like, neat spirits or spirits with just a little bit of water on the side or a bit of ice in there are often going to expect it to look very very crisp and clean um and sometimes people will mistakenly interpret that kind of like hazy look as an indication of a poorer quality which really isn't the case um and as with many things in spirit production and, and it's the same in rum too there's obviously a lot of back and forth as to whether chill filtration is a good thing or a bad thing people that think it's on the good end believe that this kind of process of chill filtration is just sort of like really getting out some of those impurities and it's just allowing you to kind of like taste the spirit at its most um pure people that are against chill filtration obviously believe that the removal of some of these fatty acids and these these esters and these proteins will really affect the final flavor so you're not actually getting a true representation of what the product should taste like so yeah as always there's a lot of back and forth about who's right <laughs> when when it happens with ice it's called louching uh that's correct yeah yeah you see it a lot with like um absinthe is it like a big mm-hmm, one mm-hmm. so some of this sort of like cast strength stuff um like rum wise that you might try um if you have it with some ice it it might louche a touch uh because it's kind of like a quite high abv as well i think helps with that process um yeah but yeah i think that's everything to do with filtration, right? Well, skimming yeah, over. I but... Yeah, I don't think there's too much point going into the actual sort of science behind it. Obviously, if you are interested in filtration, you can certainly um, just, I mean, just have a little look on Google and there's quite a lot of breakdowns about how it's done. Um, but there's various different materials that are used and certain like, um, yes, yeah, certain filters that people will push things through and they'll do it at a certain speed and a certain force when it comes to like chill filtration when it comes to um, charcoal or carbon filtration if you will there's there's a science and the reasoning behind why they use those things and there's there's not just filtration obviously in spirits there's filtration in all kinds of things out there so sometimes they kind of borrow methods or the chop and change and there's there's a lot of science behind it but i mean I, we could get into it briefly but i think it's it's not always the most exciting of topics or certainly not in my opinion anyway when it comes to i'd say in all of like a run production filtration something that we probably know the least about and i'd say it's probably the the least exciting although that's probably my opinion just because i don't know enough about it yet um obviously it is a point though that a lot of people do focus on and, and there are certain people that believe that their methodology is the most concise and uh, effective so i'm sure there is something in it you know yeah, I think uh, if you if you aren't, unless you're a very very long way down your sort of rum journey path, I don't I wouldn't worry too much about filtrate whether something's been filtered in a certain way or not. Um, or I wouldn't actively go and find out unless you were really super interested. You know, if you enjoy something, you enjoy something. You know, I wouldn't worry about it too much for the time being. Um. What else did we? What else did you want to talk about? I completely forgot. Um, well, we kind of alluded to it a little bit before, but colour on the whole. Ah, yes. Um, now, given the kind of stages that we've spoken through to lead us up to this point, with all the kind of stuff that happens during the fermentation and distillation and aging, really is the the point in which the liquid will start to pick up its colour. And as we have previously discussed, a lot of that colour will be imparted from the barrel that it is sat in um, there are certain ways in which barrels can be looked after that can change the color a little bit if you're interested in that go back to our previous uh, rum episode so that's our aging one 
Um, but there are also some things that producers can do after the aging process to kind of tamper with the color a little bit. Um, one of the most common practices is very simple and it's just adding a little bit of caramel to the liquid. So again, a lot of misconceptions in this area. Uh, a lot of people when they think about caramel straight away, they'll think about cooking caramel. They'll think about it in chocolate and the like, something that's quite sweet, quite rich. Uh, the caramel that is used uh, for the likes of producing rum is very, very different. It's actually, a, I don't know if, what would you call it, the title or like the, the name of the compound or whatever, but it's E150A. So in geeky terms, that is caramel. And that is what they use. It's actually neutral in flavor. It is purely a cosmetic thing for the look. And it is simply added in to add some consistency to the overall products. And just on the whole, to make the rum in the bottle look a little bit nicer on the shelf. Obviously, if you've got two options and you've got something that looks a little bit like a kind of dirty dishwater color, and then you've got something that's like a nice golden color, chances are, you know, you're going to go for the latter option. Um, certainly there are people that are against adding color in a lot of respects, which we'll get on and get onto in a minute, but on the whole, adding this particular compound, this E150A isn't quite as frowned upon. It's traditional, uh, certainly in a lot of different countries, adding of caramel is something that they've always done to the rum. Um, and it's very, very unlikely to change. And given that it's not actually a kind of component that's really changing the flavor at all of the final product, it's not really seen as being tampering with, with the final product too hard. Make sense? I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Right. So as Jack was saying, <laughs> you can... Um, it doesn't really affect the, the flavor too much. It is designed really for color. So... From a customer point of view, if you're looking at three bottles of rum that are exactly the same on a shelf that are next to each other, if they were all different colours, you'd be like, oh, that's a bit weird. Um, but obviously, you know, each bottle is probably going to be a slightly different colour. Maybe not hugely noticeably, but in those horrible fluorescent supermarket lights, you would probably notice, I think. Um, and that just comes from, you know, them using different ages and stuff in blends and things like that, you know, and, and different barrels and blends. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect the flavor occasionally. Uh, sorry, the color occasionally. Uh, so this kind of add addition of, of this caramel kind of just balances all that out, those slight imperfections. So everything looks very uniform, which is from consumer point of view is is what they say. That's why we throw away loads of fruit and veg every year because it's not perfect. All the EU straight banana regulations or whatever. <laughs> you do yeah. love a good banana. You are quite picky. I, one a day. One a day. Um, so other than the caramel colouring, however, what kind of other options do people sometimes go with in regards to adding colour? Fortunately, adding colour in my opinion anyway like we've not seen the kind of the trends that we've seen from the likes of gin where it's every color under the sun you're not going to see like yeah fluorescent pink rums certainly i would hope not anyway um yeah. but there are some other things that people might add so so a big well, one that i think it. everyone will be familiar with <laughs> uh is licorice um it's a certain brand that has two little handles on the bottle and a big old octopus type thing. <laughs> Shall we say? That's what I'm going with anyway. And that's not and that's just me being polite to the brand, I suppose, but they're obviously very successful and everyone will know who I'm talking about. Um but that's not through anything. That colour of that room is not through anything. Um to do with aging or anything like that it is purely the addition of licorice which makes it that kind of black color like you see a lot of some things like marketing market themselves as like black spiced rum um and that will be like i'm pretty sure captain morgan's has one as well i believe like a, a black spice they have like a gold spice in the black uh, yeah spice. Yeah, uh, yeah i think they do yeah 
Yeah, and obviously Kraken's one, and I'm sure I've seen a few more as well, you know. But I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, if you see anything that is that really, really super dark or like that, the chances are they've added something to make it look like that. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that kind of people do use for colour and a bit more flavour, but I think we might talk about it a bit later on, is molasses. Mm-hmm. Um, well, unless you want to talk, uh, we'll talk about it a bit later, I think. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else that you can think of on the top of your head that people have? Um, colour-wise, not too Just much, color-wise, no, I guess. Yeah, I guess, again, the colour somewhat feeds into what we're going to talk about next, which is just general additives and kind of flavour mm-hmm. compounds that make things taste different. Um, well, let's segue in with molasses. So um, one notable um, product that springs to my mind with the addition of molasses is Gosling's Black Seal. So for anyone that's ever had a dark and stormy before, so your lime juice, bitters, ginger beer and rum, should be gosling um, <laughs> like a bit there then um, no, no, no 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 i was just and, i was uh, trying to think of like a... <laughs> um yeah should be goslings and um, goslings is quite noticeable in its uh, appearance it's jet black almost but it's like a very very i don't know it's black isn't it basically it's like um, well that's not a polite way to put it. <laughs> and Gosling's in a is nice, nice way. as well. So. <laughs> um, so yeah, Gosling's, it gets this colour not from its aging, but from primarily the addition of some extra molasses after the fact. They are not um, doing that in a, any kind of deceptive way. They openly admit that they use a bit of molasses. They believe it kind of like... Uh, impacts the flavor in a positive way which it does and it kind of like rounds the room off nicely and it just sort of like boosts what is already there with the foundational rum that they've produced so typically in goslings i believe it's like is it like four to six roughly in black seal seems quite yeah, old is, so, it yeah. little, is it around it's around that sort of age those it kind might, of ages it might be three to blend. six or four to six yeah Mm, yeah so obviously there is already some complexity there and as i said before it is a a really really solid rum it's very reasonably priced for what it is um but yeah that kind of that really really dark noticeable color that it is isn't all from that aging it is from the addition of molasses the name funnily enough so it's called gosling's black seal actually has nothing to do with the color of it but that's something we might get onto another time if we ever focus on Bermuda or Gosling's specific products and such. Yeah, I'm sure it'll come up at some point. Um, you know, I think we've got a few years left in us yet before we die. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll just keep doing these forever. I'll be on like my deathbed doing it. Like, oh, still, in, still in lockdown. <laughs> yeah, still in lockdown. I remember trying Corona. It was delicious. <laughs> and that was my, my last ever words. Um, yeah, so another um, another really uh, sort of well-known and historical uh, place that adds molasses into their room is uh, Guyana. Um, and they've been doing this for like years and years and years and years and years. Um, you're probably talking the best part of 200 years, if not longer, um, certainly. Um and the way they do it is a little bit different. So they actually like age some molasses in barrels. It gets a bit complicated. I won't go into it too much, but um, they basically um, with some rum in it as well. So it's kind of like a a really kind of molasses with a touch of rum in there anyway, and that gets added into kind of the final product of rum. So that's why you'll see some stuff um, that is. Um, from Guyana that is quite dark like Gosling's or um, stuff like that so a prime example is like OVD which is uh, Old Vatted Demerara uh, which is super dark um, and that's obviously from Guyana as it says Demerara on the bottle like all things that say Demerara are um, and that is a, an example of them using like molasses in a very old school kind of way that they've been doing for a very long time um, kind of affect their rum and kind of people know that they're quite honest about it I think which is again something we'll probably get onto a little bit later mm. about uh, 
deception in the rum world, I think. Um, but yeah, that's a, a pretty good example of molasses anyway. Yeah, and we, we've addition. we've obviously touched on molasses like in, in previous videos at various points because it's, it's a very important factor in rum production as a whole. Um, but for anyone that isn't aware, molasses is basically um, formulated as a byproduct for making granulated sugar. So the actual look of it itself is it looks very thick and like treacle-like. It's almost jet black in colour. And it has very sort of licorice like flavours to it. So obviously when this is added to rum, there's an afterthought. The more that you add, the more of that kind of like licorice sort of taste you're going to get. So the example Andy just mentioned with the OVD, you taste something like that, it does have a very um, licorice-esque taste to it. Another example you didn't think of before, actually, when you were talking about like really dark and like spiced rums uh, is dark matter. So it's actually Scottish, I believe, isn't it? And mm -hmm. exactly the same deal. They must use molasses, right? Or some sort of like licorice in there because it's like jet black in yeah, color so, yeah. and it is very, very licorice-y. Even so, something like uh, Woods, probably. Um, I'm pretty sure, is that Guyana? I'm pretty sure some of it in the blend will be because it's, it's basically like navy, navy rum, right? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, but at least, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's either from there or kind of mimicking the style, yeah. given that it's Navy rum. And I imagine someone like Lambs, actually, as another example, will probably use some molasses in there. Because that's pretty dark and it'll give you that sort of sweetness that kind yeah. of... To be cynical, sometimes it, it, mas it can mask some not very well made room but again we'll get onto that in, in a little bit yeah i think we can get onto it now we can't skirt around the issue anymore let's let's no, i won't i'm going to talk about glycerol first all right yeah that's a biggie. and sugar just sugar in okay. general so um kind of the big thing that a lot of producers more than you would ever think um add to their room is sugar extra sugar after post distillation sugar it usually it'd be post aging to be honest. Um, dosage, dosage, as Jack rightly says in his sexy French accent. <laughs> um, and this is done to essentially, obviously, make sense, sweeten stuff up, but can also be used to kind of mask some quite badly made rum, essentially, or stuff that probably hasn't been aged long enough long as long as it kind of needs to get that right balance of kind of mellowing out some of the some of the notes that you want to kind of change over and, and make a bit bit more complicated and a bit sexier basically <laughs> yeah i think I, I think sometimes you can kind of think of it almost like a sort of like time um like cutting corners you know like cutting corners like a bit of a time saving yeah. exercise like some of the things we've talked about in the past when it comes to really high quality rums, the amount of time effort that goes into the aging, the blending, getting that consistency and getting that quality and complexity. It's, it's a very arduous task and it's not easy at all. If you think that you could just shave off, you know, 90% of that production time, you don't have to do it as precise and you can basically just after the fact go in and tamper with it a little bit by adding the likes of sugar you know, you can see why some people, especially in the business world, will think, right, that's basically a ticket to mass-producing stuff, and it's still going to sell, because yeah. it tastes quite good. And then you can still charge a fortune for it. Um, so, kind of the reason, a few reasons why this is kind of done, um, and we'll get onto glycerol as well in a sec, but um, when we were talking, we were talking about heads and hearts and stuff in our or what pot distillation or column, pot distillation episode? Probably a bit, of, probably a bit of both. Yeah. Um, so basically, they can kind of ex basically make the hearts larger and include more of these heads and tails and more of these kind of not very nice flavors in their room. They can kind of do their cuts a bit bigger, so then you're going to get bigger yield from each distill distillation. Um, and then you can kind of mask those things by using sort of sugar and things like that to kind of basically it just covers some cracks and glosses over some stuff. 
But like I said at the beginning of this, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Some people have been doing it for a very long time, like certain styles in certain countries and stuff like that. It's it's pretty much a given. You know, you look at some, like a lot of Central uh, America rooms, these sort of Spanish style rooms that come out of Central America will have added sugar in because that's the way they've always done it. That's, you know, it comes from a long, you know, you're looking... I read somewhere something about someone was inspired by champagne because they obviously had sugar after the fact of the, for the secondary fermentation. Uh, I think, I believe some brandy producers do it. Um, and a few other like people, um, kind of spirit producers elsewhere in Europe have done it. So it's kind of, it's moved over with everything mm. else, with the technology, etc., like that, when everything moved over to sort of the Caribbean and North well, Central and South America, really. Um, so I understand why people do it, and this is why we're trying to say it's not a bad thing, because it's a historical thing that people have done for a very long time. Um, I think from our point of view, it would just be nice if people were a bit more transparent about doing it, I think. You know, so you've got people, a certain brand from Guatemala, who I won't say, one from Venezuela, who I won't say either, so try not to piss people anyone, well, piss anyone off. Um, but they add a lot of sugar into their, into their room. You know, you're talking 40 grams a litre, 45 grams a litre, 30 grams a litre. Um, and if you're paying, you know, 45, 65, 100 pounds for a bottle of rum and a lot of it is sugar, I would feel ripped off, you know. If you found out after the fact you paid 100 pounds for um, a certain Guatemalan rum, that's very popular. Don't get me wrong. Like I understand why people enjoy it as well. But personally, I'd feel a bit, I'd feel a bit ripped off and a bit pissed off that there's no real mention of that officially from, from that rum producer that they add that much sugar to it. And then you look at it and it's got like it's 26 grams a litre of sugar or something or 24 or it's around there. It's like mid 20. And that's like, well, that's completely. You know, it's it is cutting and it is cutting corners, like you said, and glossing over kind of defects in the room almost, and covering them up using sugar as a a kind of oh well, if it's a bit naff, we can kind of sweeten up a bit and still sell it. It's fine. Like I understand there's a tradition of that in that kind of style of room, but at least be honest about it and say we think this is actually really good but then we add some sugar to it anyway to make it maybe a bit better. Like, that's fine. Like, I would have no issue with that. It's the fact that it's all very secrets and lies and hush-hush. And then people yeah. have to, third parties have to go away and, and test these things to try and figure out what the fuck is going on in the room. Like, it's madness. Yeah, yeah. I think there's an element as well of, there's there's always a bit of a danger when it comes to sort of like, when it comes to categories evolving and changing and, and moving on, and we've alluded to the fact that there's somewhat of a movement right now in the rum world of like premiumization, and there's a lot more people sort of stepping into sipping rums. You know, 20, 25 years ago, the concept of a sipping rum basically wasn't a thing, certainly not anywhere in Europe, really. It was always seen as quite a rough, unrefined spirit or something that mixed quite well in cocktails, you know. And then once sipping rooms kind of sipping rooms come forth it's seen as like a somewhat desirable thing to kind of like drink spirits neat you know it's seen as kind of like a bit of a classy like cool thing to do um and if you're not accustomed to it it it, it does take a little bit of time to sort of climatize you can't just jump in and just start drinking you know really strong neat spirits not only are you just not going to enjoy it but you're not going to appreciate it either because there there are a lot of these these elements that kind of shine through from all these various difficult and kind of quirky distillation methods and aging stuff that you only start to pick up once you try more and more. And certainly amongst sort of like newcomers to the category, you'll often hear words like smooth, you know, like if someone drinks something like, Oh, that's, that's really smooth. And a lot of the time this it's there's nothing wrong with that. And then they're not wrong, but it's, basically a characteristic of the fact that there's this like these extra elements that have been added there are plenty don't get me wrong there are plenty of smooth 
rums that have no added sugar and they are higher ABV and stuff. That smoothness, if you will, comes from a different thing. It, it, it's, I guess it's just the, the more your palate gets accustomed to it and the more rums you try, you start to be able to identify a lot easier when some of these things have been added in. I always find it with certain, um, certain fruit flavours. Like I can't stand anything uh, banana flavoured. You know, kind of like, I don't know, like what would be a banana flavoured example or something? Um, if there's like a banana flavoured ice cream or something like that. Same For me, no, no, matter, no matter what I have, or like yoghurt, you know, okay, like yoghurt, something like that, like a banana yoghurt, whatever. It always tastes artificial to me, you know, and I can't, that kind of like, plast, those sort of plasticky vibes. Yeah. I, I, it I is that can't. like foam banana taste, isn't it? It's like, they basically make that ester, that banana ester in a lab and inject it into whatever, whatever the hell foam bananas are made from. Like, I love them, but... Yeah, and it's sometimes like it's like it's, it's artificial, of course, but it's also like amplified a lot of the time. Like they'll they'll do it in a way where that's the overpowering feature and kind of like what we've already been speaking about. Often the likes of sugar will be used to gloss over certain imperfections or impurities. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it's it's like an overcorrection. It's, it's, it's things are too sweet on a lot of occasions and the more the more things you try and you can compare and contrast side by side you'll start to realize there are things that you once thought all oh, were really palatable and really smooth they're actually they taste they just don't quite taste right and it's a shame because sometimes there will be rum in there that is actually good quality and and it is very pleasant but it's been masked by all these additives um and obviously one would argue that a lot of the time the reason why they're using it is to mask it. It's not because there's already good quality product in there and then they're just, you know, kind of like giving it an extra bit of a nudge forward. More often than not, it's because the actual base foundational product isn't quite as nice. Well, from a brand point of view as well, you know, generally, certainly here in the UK, probably America as well, if you sweeten something up, it's going to open your market massively to a lot more people a lot more people are going to be interested in trying it or want to try it or want to mix it with something else or whatever because it is that sweeter profile and that's kind of those R2 countries specifically are obviously really sweet toothed teeth mm. sweet sweet toothed I don't know yeah we'll that's go with a, it that's a bloody minefield <laughs> um, yeah another kind of not to get too hung up on sugar I'm just kind of thinking about time and stuff uh glycerol is another thing that gets added quite a lot to mask these kind of rums that maybe aren't necessarily the greatest quality to begin with and they're kind of doing the best they can post aging or post distillation to kind of make them taste half decent essentially or attempt to anyway and glycerol is a very weird substance that kind of Basically, it imparts mouthfeel. So it'd be quite hard to explain to anyone that doesn't really drink spirits too much on their own. But there's certainly, for I know, Jack, you're a really big fan of like Worthy Park because it's oily and, you know, it kind of coats your mouth and it's, it stays with you and it's a bit, ooh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and kind of glycerol is like one of these things that can be used to essentially mimic that sort of high quality, really high quality spirit kind of oiliness. And it kind of, and it stays with you for a long time. Like the flavors of the re- really, really high quality spirits will s- stick with you, you know, um, for five, 10, 15, 20, half an hour, you know, a long time after you've actually had some, um, and this is glycerol is kind of one of these things that people use to kind of try and try to mimic that. But I find it they're usually used in conjunction with sugar as well. And basically it just kind of gives you that sort of Coke kind of furry mouthfeel almost when it kind of like coats your mouth and makes your teeth feel a bit gross. Mm. Um, I think like that's one of the main reasons I find like I can pick out like added sugar and rum is because of that feeling 
because it reminds me so much of like like I don't really drink like coke too much but when I do yeah. it's like, oh it's like if, if you got if you're on a night out and you drink like a lot of like you know rum and coke or vodka and coke or whatever when you wake up the next day and you just feel like yeah it's like you say it's that kind of like almost like furry mouth feel and your teeth feel a yeah. bit grim um yeah there are obviously some really great spirits out there and you drink it and it feels really like you say it can be quite an oily mouth feel or it can just feel quite thick and and uh yeah i don't know i mean it's it's just another one of those elements that in my opinion it's very very hard to mimic successfully in my the way i see it they're just two different things the mouth feel from something that has like something like worthy park is a prime example that it has those characteristics due to its production and then something that has been added to me they're just two different categories yeah in terms of yeah the spirit that they are essentially in fact in fact it ties in because we had a question right we had a question from uh oh my god yes someone that, someone that we work with our very good friend horace yeah do you want, do you want me to pose you the question yes. yeah go through okay do you want me to read the whole thing or just the question mm-hmm. it's quite no, just the question what's the question okay so um our good friend, to be fair he wrote this a month ago on like our first video so sorry horace i'll tag you in this so you can listen to the answer <laughs> um, but he essentially says uh, when it comes to spice rum do you think it is a little bit similar to how flavored slash pink gins affect the gin industry go right okay um like a beyblade swines right. you up and like well first off i want to i want to start by saying that i don't think of spice rum necessarily as being a bad thing nor would i bunch all spiced rums into the same category per se there there are certainly some good quality spice rums out there or some that i would recommend to people i think they are a really good introduction to the category it's nice to get people excited about rum um obviously not only do we as bartenders kind of concern ourselves with you know what's a good rum to to be sipping you know we also want to think about things that we can use in cocktails things we can use as modifiers um, I mean, you think about the likes of the tiki movement, which is obviously a rum-based thing. You know, all those cocktails that you'd kind of fit into that sort of category, really big, bold flavors, a lot of ingredients typically. There's a lot of different things mishmashed in there, uh, fruity flavors in particular. Often there's a fair bit of sugar, you know. So it's not to say that rum should only be thought of as a serious sipping thing and it can't be used in other instances. Or if you're going to mix it, it necessarily has to just be those kind of more, you know, clean cut, filtered, clear rums that we were discussing before. There's plenty of room for spice rum to be a thing. I think the actual coining of the phrase spice rum is a little bit misleading sometimes. I think I think really it should be classified as a flavoured rum spirit. And that's basically across the board because more often than not, the things we've already talked about so far when it comes to additions of sugar and and color and other spices, they will feature most heavily in this category to a point where that initial foundational spirit that was created is basically unrecognizable. There's so many modifiers and things added to it. It, It's, it's changed. It's different. It's different. Um, in regards to whether it's going to be, whether it's going to have a similar impact to to pink gin, I mean, it's too it, tough. To he s- asked if the effect would be the same as flavored slash pink gins have affected the gin industry. Yeah. Okay. This is a tough one, really, isn't it? Because there's obviously always going to be a risk of something like that things getting a little bit gimmicky given that in a very similar vein to something like a lot of the pink gins that are out there spice rums will be quite easy to produce and a lot quicker than some of these and what would be often described as kind of like the higher quality you know like the older the aged rums so they can be mass produced uh often these they, t- they tend to sort of veer off from like more traditional marketing and they use the kind of more marketing, more modern marketing methods, don't they? They, 
I, I, I would say more often than not, a lot of the runs that, that we really like, you kind of almost have to be looking for it. You have to get a bit more entrenched in, in the run world to kind of like find out how good these things are. Whereas you can be watching you know, primetime TV and see the likes of Captain Morgan's or Sailor Jerry's or Kraken just advertised on TV because they've obviously got the money to do it and you can't deny the marketing it in a, in a smart way. Um, so there's always going to be the risk of that for sure. And the fact, and, and because universally they tend to be products that people like, given the addition of all these things, if you're drinking something that's, you know, really high in sugar content or it's got loads of like really nice additives that are adding some nice herbs and spices and flavors to it, you know, you you probably are going to find it pleasant or you're going to find it pleasant mixed with something. And that is the way the vast majority of people are going to consume things. Um, but again, you know, there are certain companies that, that do a little bit of both. They produce variants that are, you know, more mature, older age statement kind of style of rums. And then they'll also experiment a little bit with some of the spice variants as well. I would say on the whole, in the rum industry, from what we've experienced, there is a little bit more pushback when it comes to people trying to kind of like mess around and cut these corners that we've brought up so far, people are called out on it more often, I would say as to how much impact that has, it's debatable, you know? Um, but I think something like with gin or previously, uh, vodka was a big one. Another big one where they obviously kind of saw the demand for it, started adding some flavors to it. And once that took off, they just ran with it. It was one of those things where short term, it was obviously a massive boost for the category, but long term, you know, the longevity is drastically affected because people start to kind of go off it. And then when new brands come in, they've not really got the credibility there because the category as a whole, you know, is deemed somewhat illegitimate. So there are a lot of people sort of fighting that currently in, in, the, in the rum category and, you know, fighting against it. But you can't deny that there are some very adventurous brands out there, and they're obviously toying around with a lot of different, a lot of different spice rum variants to try and get something out there that's very popular. Um, I think anything that gets people drinking rum initially is probably a positive thing, right? Just getting people interested on the whole. It's obviously people then sort of like looking after them and guiding them in a positive way. So that's primarily on the likes of bartenders and, and brand reps and ambassadors and stuff. It's, it's not being afraid to then discuss these intricacies and kind of point out not necessarily flaws, but differences in the way that things are done and hopefully open people's eyes to new, you know, new products. Yeah. Yeah. I think like in terms of spice rum, there's, there's two ways to make it. There's the mass, there's a mass produced way of, getting something that is essentially rum, well, molasses or sugar kind of product, vodka that is distilled to a very, very high ABV. doesn't really taste anything. Take it to a factory, put loads of additives in it, water it down to, you know, some, a lot of them are like 35 or 37% or whatever. Not even 40%. Um, and then sell it, bottle it, sell it. Like, you know, and you're, and you're selling it for the same price pretty much as someone that can do it in the right way. Say, you know, your chairman's reserve spice of these world, this world where it's their normal kind of gold rum that's aged for a little bit longer for an extra like six months or whatever, three to six months in a barrel with the actual spices in it. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, and then blended together and then sent. Like and it's forty percent. Like that's a it's a great way to start, you know. And again, it's got sugar added to it. I'm fairly confident. Well, I know for a fact it does, but it's still a lot more authentic than something that has been essentially made in a lab. Or they'll have sat down and gone, oh, let's let's try and make a spiced rum. And then there is a man there putting loads of E numbers into various different bits of bottles and going, all right, sample. Do you like this one? Do you like this one? Do you like this one? Like that's not, for me, that's just really not the way to do it. And there is a big, 
I would say there's a big difference, but I don't think consumers would notice that there's a big difference. They're very similar priced. There's just someone's making a fuckload more money on them. <laughs> uh, put it that way. Um, and I think there's definitely, like you said, a right way to go about it and a wrong way. Another thing regarding like the gin thing, if I ever see Hubba Bubba, Hubba Bubba flavoured rum, I'm probably, <laughs> probably just yeah, going to we'll kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be permanent. I'll never drink rum again. Yeah. Um, yeah, so if you're watching this, you're watching it on YouTube, hopefully subscribe, which will be here, here, here. I keep doing the same thing every time, so I know where it is. I think it's here. <laughs> there. Subscribe. If it's not there, then I fucked it up and it's here. Either way. Subscribe. I hope they found it by now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Um, what else is there? Oh, yes. Instagram. Give the video a like. Thumbs up. Comment. He's got Should it. I just take over here? I mean... <laughs> no, it's fine. I've just got a bit lost. That's all. I got distracted. I get distracted so easily. Um, and then we have our Instagram, which is just run with it. All one word. Um, we post some random shit on there. It's quite fun. Um, mostly what we kind of drink, what we enjoy, a few of the bits about sort of these little snippets of videos. So you can always keep up to date as to whenever we release stuff on YouTube. Um, and what else is there? Uh, watch the rest of these. Watch our interview with Dave uh, that we've posted. Dave Marsland, who is a um, really good friend of ours and it's really interesting. He looks after Manchester Runfest, Challenge Reserve in the UK, uh, Clement in the UK, etc. Um, does all sorts of bits. We've done a, a huge interview with him that took up a lot of time. Um, uh, so we're releasing it in three parts, so they'll all be up for you now. It's the first part of our in-depth series. Um, so we're going to be getting some more people on that as well, which will be really fun. And it's kind of a really good way for people to learn a little bit more about uh, people that work in the room industry, I suppose. I think our interview with Dave was as long as that outro. <laughs> so congratulations. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to get all the info in, you know. I like it, I like it. <laughs> Say bye. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> if there is a next time, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, don't be because... like that. <laughs>